2: I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, a red alert on housing. One of our traders says the best is in for the builder boom, how they are positioned for a pullback in this red-hot housing trade. Plus, investors hanging up on AT&T for the second straight day. The stock is now down. More than 8% since announcing that Warner Media spinoff. How are traders playing the big drop? And we're all over the after-hours action shares of Take-Two Interactive. The gaming stock taking a big leg higher on the back of results. We'll take you inside the quarter, but we start off with a retail renaissance. Three names that serve vastly different segments of the consumer market, all posting monster earnings beats today. Walmart and Home Depot surprising the top and the bottom lines. Macy's report an unexpected profit, but that didn't necessarily translate into good news for the stocks. While Walmart, Walmart posted its best day since early April, Macy's failed to hold on to gains. Home Depot ended the day in the red. So is this another instance of good news, bad price action, Guy? And, of course, we have to note that the markets closed on session lows. Big cap tech closed on session lows. Even with good news, these stocks closed lower today.
3: Yeah, we t- yeah, Mel, we talk about it all the time. I mean, I heard Joe Terranova on closing bell, good news, bad price action. I mean, we, this is something we harp on when we see it. And clearly, we've seen it recently, and we saw it today in spades. And listen, Home Depot, I don't know how to even say how ridiculous a quarter that was in terms of the metrics. I mean, I think the street had high expectations. I think they surpassed everything that I can look at. I mean, margins, inventories were in line commensurate with sales growth. I mean, the EPS beat, the digital, I mean, just everything across the board was unbelievable. Stock rolled over, and quite frankly now, you know, it's probably 12% off that recent all-time high. And not to suggest it's a broken stock. It's not, but you have to take this into consideration. I'll tell you, given the numbers, Home Depot's probably on a $15 run rate, means they're trading around 23 times earnings, which I don't think is expensive. But when you see this kind of price action, you have to ask yourself, you know, is the market trying to tell us something? And I would submit the answer is probably yes.
2: Yes, and Karen, is the message that... Uh, all the good news is baked in at these levels.
4: I guess so. I mean, I I agree with Guy. What what a great quarter. Um, I I don't know if you I lost you for a second. So I don't know if you asked me about Home Depot or Walmart.
2: Home Depot, um, not Walmart, because Walmart Uh finished higher, but a Home Depot, a Macy's, you know, all the great expectations for these two stocks. Are they already in the stock?
4: Well, switching to Walmart, no, no, because you saw, you know, it opened big, similar to many other stocks, didn't close on the highs. Um, But I think Walmart showed just uh, tremendous momentum, right? And that we have they spent a lot of money on expenses, and yet they were still able to really improve a lot of their metrics. One of the things I found most interesting was average ticket price going up nine and a half percent. Right? They had huge volume last year, just people stocking in the pandemic, but now. They're able to switch to higher-margin items now. How much of that is stimulus and temporary? I'm not sure. I do think a lot of those those um, customers that they gained will be sticky, but the metrics also there not crazy expensive. So. I'm sticking with Walmart. I was very surprised to see Target traded up in the morning as I expected it would down later in the day. And I bought some on the close because I think the change in mix that Walmart had that was beneficial for Walmart, which was out of groceries into other general merchandise. I feel like that's going to be even more so at Target, better margins for Target. Yeah. So
5: mix
2: mix back there, though. Target down. We'll see tomorrow, though. Tim, your take, particularly on Macy's.
5: Um, by the way, I love how Karen just played I Would Rather. She just decided to she talk just, about it.: Yeah, she's going to go for whatever she wants to I mean, talk
2: about. But, you know, I'll allow it with it Karen. Was, I, not for you. Don't get any ideas. I, well, it's
5: so, no, no, I won't. And it's just great to see Karen, who's always so well-behaved not listen. Um, so I, I think in the case of Macy's, this is a stock that wasn't listening to all the doubters as well for the last probably four quarters in terms of putting digital uh, e-commerce sales uh, as the, you know, 48 percent of, of you know, new dollars spent on their site. So exciting stuff. And I, I think they, the balance sheet story there and, and really, you know, call it a, a, a restructuring without totally having to do that, but also um, where they were able to close down unprofitable retail and actually take some of the benefits of COVID. Great story probably priced in. And, and I don't own the name anymore. I, it was certainly something that I felt on the balance sheet improvement and just a better business was worth a big ride. It's been a big ride. Um, they still have major issues competing. And, and I think that's with those numbers. But, you know, they've been very, very, I think, cautious and conservative on their guide. Uh, I was thrilled to see these numbers for the company. I certainly am loaded up uh, or, or, you know, I should say it's on the watch list to to be potentially loading up again. Mm. Um, but I think You're highlighting three different stories at the top of the show here. Uh, Absolutely the case in in Macy's. It doesn't belong with Walmart um, or uh, in in that case for Home Depot.
2: Sure. The common thread, though, amongst these three different stories is that the consumer is back. The consumer wants to spend money. They've been stuck at home. There's revenge spending going on. Um, But at the same time, as Walmart's CEO put it, the second half has more uncertainty than a typical year. So, Dan, how do you interpret that across this sector?
6: i would take that comment at face value when you think about just we've had waves and waves of of government transfer payments to citizens who you know had been at home and, and had not the ability to do a lot of things that they normally spend money on and actually a lot of retailers did very well and you know the price action you're talking about this morning in home depot a stock that literally on march 5th looked like it was about to roll over it had not made a new high with the s p 500 all year. It actually hadn't been at its highs since September. Okay. And then it turns on a dime and closes up 40% um, up until about a week ago or something like that. So we're down 10% in a straight line. They put up a quarter as good as like the one that Amazon and Apple did. And what did those stocks do? They didn't trade higher. So if Walmart is telling you that the back half of this year on the other side of this pandemic that we've all been waiting for is going to be uncertain, then I'd take his... Uh, you know, I'd take that warning. You know, we know that input costs are going up. We know that there's certain uh, you know, inflationary pressures as it relates to wages and that sort of thing. I think what happens next here is that a lot of these stocks are going to start interpreting their ability to push forward or, or, or kind of pass through cost increases to uh, consumers at a time where consumers might not be getting those added unemployment benefits or some of the other benefits and they start spending on other things. And that could be a hit to margins. So Guy always talks about this S&P at 23 times. No one cares on the way up, but they may start to care if we start pricing things in 2022 and what normalized earnings look like with decreased margins.
2: To Dan's point, the additional unemployment benefits end in September, Guy. The effects of stimulus will end sometime in the back half of the year. Um, And so when we think about retail, it's interesting that, you know, now after the pandemic, before the pandemic, we talked about the death of retail, the death of the mall, the death of those kinds of stores. That you know, Walmart and Home Depot don't fall into that category. But post-pandemic, we're talking about a resurgence, a renaissance in retail. That they are stronger than before. Um, and going into the second half of the year with these uncertainties, do you buy that narrative?
3: No, I mean I don't think they're going to be stronger than they were before. I mean I think you're going to get through this wave of the, the pent up demand that Tim's been talking about for literally months now. Correctly, by the way, and then things will get back to normal. I mean, there'll be a time where people, everything sort of normalizes on that front. And you go back, listen, go back to last fall, and we were talking about the death of retail. If you, I know you remember. Because we talked about it all the time. So I don't think anything has really fundamentally changed on that front other than what we've lived through and this little bit of a pop that we're going to get on the back end, which all makes sense. In terms of Walmart quickly, Karen makes a fantastic point. My pushback would be, Walmart, unlike these other stocks, Walmart made an all-time high in November. I think it was November 30th, actually, and then spent, obviously, the last half of the, the end of last year and early this year trading lower as opposed to, like, the Home Depot. So maybe Walmart was leading then by a few months, and maybe it'll lead us back up. But I do think Walmart can go higher, and these other stocks can sort of trend lower. I think, again, Walmart could take the lead took the lead probably on the way down, take the lead back on the way up.
2: I mean, in an uncertain period in the back half of the year, if it is full of uncertainty, then that is exactly where you want to be, Karen, right? <laughs> I mean, whether the consumer so is stronger or not. For, <laughs> right. It
4: depends if, you're, if it's priced for uncertainty or priced for something else. Uh, I think, though, a lot of retail, they use the pandemic, as painful as it was, to accelerate a lot of changes, to streamline to uh, rationalize their store base. So a lot of them came out w- weaker, but ready to survive a-, a difficult environment because they were able to do so much during the pandemic. So I think, and, and you had some competitors uh-huh. go out of business. But, but can I ask so you So those question? are generally good things uh, to happen. Those are yes. all good
2: things. You can do whatever for, you want. for me, that's <laughs> true, I can. Uh, no, but <laughs> within reason, of course. But, like, let's just take an example, like Macy's, for instance. Okay, so their e-commerce business is much better. They've they've attracted a new customer, which they hope will be sticky, et cetera. But do, do customers still want to go into the Macy's that existed yeah. before the pandemic, where you walk through the perfume to get to the handbags, to go up the escalator, to get to the women's clothing? I mean, is that... Is that what we go back to? Does that still survive? Because that was the death of a box store like a Macy's before the pandemic. And I don't know that the pandemic has changed that.
4: Yeah, I agree with you there on, you know, on. Well, there were some like Macy's that, you know, didn't survive. That was sort of happening before. A a Sears and a J.C. Penney, for example. But I agree with you on Macy's. But there are others that I think did. A good jobs you know switching to e-commerce and building up that business and being a brand is important that macy's brand i'm not sure what it is so i agree with you on that one okay
2: our next guest says retail's comeback is in the early innings dan hurwitz is a former ceo of shopping mall operator ddr he now runs raider hill advisors dan always great to see you good
7: to see you thank you for having me
2: why are we in the early stages i mean we we just came off the pandemic the consumer is filled with stimulus so is that fueling this sort of nine inning run if we were going to continue to use this this metaphor or I mean, we see the end of the stimulus in front of us. We see the end of the additional unemployment benefits in front of us. Why is there a long run we, still?
7: There's a long run because there's enormous pent up demand. And I think Karen's right. I think I think a lot of retailers use the pandemic simply to get better. You know, the, the, you asked a great question. Are people still going to walk by the perfume and the handbags to get upstairs to the women's ready to wear at Macy's? They will if they have the right merchandise and they will if they're a good retailer. Um, and, and where they suffered in the past was that they were stale and they were tired. And if they use the pandemic, which I think they have and others have as well, to revamp their merchandise and, and re, revamp their appeal to the consumer, the consumer is ready to go. I mean, our savings rates are up. The stimulus is still out there. People have pent up demand. You know, we're going to have a little bit of a tail off for sure in the summer months, because we always do. But back to school and the holidays should be robust. I'm I'm more concerned about next year, to be honest with you, comping this year's numbers, uh, because I think this year will, be, will continue to be very strong.
4: Hey, Dan, it's Karen. I actually can't see you, but nice to hear your voice. Can you tell me, what I agree with you on this potential bubble into next year, but what does this mean for the malls or
7: the mall REITs? Well, traffic is up. I mean, one of the things that we have to distinguish right now in retail is that people talk about retail as if it's a single asset class. And the resilience of retail is very different if you have an open-air shopping center versus a mall. Open air has been incredibly resilient. The debt markets are still there. There's a lot of capital chasing those assets. And they went through the pandemic with great strength. The malls did not. And and the malls are going to depend on increased traffic. And they're seeing increased traffic. Um, so I think I think the malls have a much longer way to come back because they dropped um, much further. We saw real market capitulation in regard to the malls. We really did not see that in open air. And I think we have to sort of distinguish between open air retail and enclosed retail uh, today because everyone's talking about it as if it's all the same. And what we learned through the pandemic is that it's clearly not.
5: Hey, Dan, it's Tim. Are, are, are we looking at I higher think- margin businesses now that deserve a better multiple? So, again, massive investment in e-commerce over the last couple of years. And we can talk about it with Walmart, but obviously we've talked about it with Macy's. We've talked about it with other uh, discretionary retailers. W- what do you think about this? Do they start paying dividends on gross margins? And is that worth more to us as investors?
7: I think over time, I think the proof is, is – is, I think this is sort of a show-me market in regard to that, Tim. I, I, I think, for example, Macy's has done a good job. They have a, you know, a $10 billion e-commerce business that they don't get a lot of credit for. Um, why is that? Because they trade like a department store. And I think they have to show, really, that the e-commerce business is the wave of a future and that the department store is not going to drag it down. I think the market's waiting a little bit to see what's going to happen. But I think ultimately, if they're successful – Stores like Macy's and others do deserve to trade at a higher multiple if they can prove themselves worthy of that multiple over time. You know, we are we we're, we're really just starting to get a taste for what the uh, post-pandemic world is going to look like. And certain retailers were strong going into the pandemic, during the pandemic, and they're stronger coming out. Others had to evolve during the pandemic, and I think the market wants to give them a little more time to see if they can prove to us that they're worthy of a higher multiple.
2: We've been showing a graphic, Dan, of your biggest, uh, your top picks in retail. And I'm wondering, uh, which retailers do you think have emerged weaker during this pandemic? Names that may have been just, you know, brought up along with the rest of the sector, but really don't deserve uh, any sort of appreciation.
7: Well, I think there's no question that there's certain sectors, you know, if you really look at fitness, if you if you look at the theater business, um, you, you know, they have been devastatingly harmed. And they are much weaker than, than coming, going into the pandemic for obvious reasons. Food and beverage is weaker. Mm-hmm. Um, now, whether it has a massive recovery or not, we'll see. People are talking about that, but we still know a very large percentage of the food and beverage retailers went out of business and, and they're not coming back. Um, markets are efficient. There'll be new people that step into those locations, but that business has struggled. There's no question. So I think, I think the experiential retail that everyone was talking about pre pandemic, suffered the most, obviously, during the pandemic and the retail that people thought was um, weaker going into the pandemic, right. particularly ready to wear apparel, yep. mass merchants came out much stronger.
2: All right. Dan, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Good to see you. My pleasure, Melissa. Thank Dan you. Her Good her to lips. see you. Um, interestingly, when we were talking about the death of the mall, reviving the mall included Putting in all this experiential retail, (laughs) um, experiential, you know, sort of retail or or locations that would have brought people in. And now Dan is saying that that's actually the the weakest part of the equation here. Um, Guy, where do you go in terms of this trade and and the outlook for the malls? That's very interesting because we were just talking about the death of the mall.
3: Yeah, I mean, if you look at a name like Simon Properties, it's it's had a big run. It it has not gotten back to the levels we saw when this whole thing started back, you know, January, February obviously, of last year. So I think that's a bit of a cautionary tale. Where would I go? Well, normally I'd say Dollar General, which is a fantastic company. You go back and look, that topped out, I think, in October of last year, around 225, fell 20 percent, basically retraced the entire move and seemingly has failed. So a lot of these names, which look great in terms of their earnings, in terms of their valuations, haven't traded well. That's, That's concerning. And you throw Restoration Hardware on that A name that we've collectively loved, again, has not traded well over the last couple of weeks. So the stocks, for the first time in a while, my opinion, are starting to try to tell you something in terms of downside risk.
2: Dan, you're skeptical, so I'm going to go to you. Do you think um, any retailers are worth a short? Here?
6: Skeptical? What do you mean? Just like in general, as a person, I'm skeptical. No, oh, I'm team. I'm a rosy guy here. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, listen, I I, yes. I can't speak to the malls. I haven't been to a mall since the '80s. Um, I think <laughs> we spend a lot of time talking about these mall reads and they're all going away. They're all going to be Amazon distribution centers. Probably a lot of these so-called department stores that we say might have gotten fixed because of the pandemic. On the other side, they're probably like look at this Dillard's. The move that it just had. It will never get better for Dillard's. It will never get better for Macy's from here. It will. Never never get uh, better than, uh, you know, for Nordstrom. So you, you to me, I, I just don't think we're going to have this roaring 20s that is going to fix retail, all the problems that we had um, before it. So I suspect that if you were skeptical of the mall REITs and skeptical of the department source, pre-pandemic, remain skeptical and you just got a gift if you want to take the other side of the street.
2: All right, coming up, take two reporting earnings just moments ago. The stock touching after hours highs with the call now underway. We'll get the details next, plus Amazon reportedly in talks by MGM Studios. But is there a better buy for the e commerce giant? The traders are priming their best picks. We've got all that and much more when fast money returns.
1: You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all
6: electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.
1: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Take-Two Interactive. The stock's staging a big reversal now near after-hours highs. Let's get to Josh Lipton with the details. Hey, Josh.
8: So, Melissa, remember heading into this print, Take-Two was actually under some pressure. It was down about 15% over the past three months. It was down about 20% uh, this year. But now, as you said, higher here in the after-hours. I did check in with Andrew Irkwitz over at Jeffries. Quarter was fine, he says, but the focus really was on fiscal 22. Guidance did come in lighter than expected, 32 to $3.3 billion in net bookings versus expectations of $3.5 billion. Now, this could be a transition year, Andrew says, because it does look like Take-Two won't have a new AAA title. His rating is actually a hold, given relatively limited visibility, Andrew says, into the pipeline. On the call, CEO Strauss-Zelnick saying, looking ahead, he anticipates the overall market for his industry is going to be notably larger going forward than it was pre-pandemic. However, as the world returns to a new normal, he says, he expects a moderation of the trends that benefit his industry over the past year. Executives did give some color on their pipeline. They say 60 titles are coming over the next three years. And they sounded a confident tone on the call saying they expect to achieve sequential growth in fiscal 23, they say, and over the next few years. And they believe that they will establish new record levels of operating results even above the performance they say they delivered this past year. Melissa, back to you.
2: Josh, thank you. The market will be notably larger versus pre-pandemic, Tim. That's great news for investors.
5: It, it, it will be you know, notably significantly uh, major secular tailwind. Whatever you want to say, interactive media is hot. It should be hot. Uh, we're spending a lot of time talking about the, the changing media landscape this week, and I think this is part of it. Um, I, I think this, this stock, and I've heard management be more... Uh, you know, emphatic about their pipeline, saying it's, it's, it's extraordinary and it's the best it's ever been. Um, so I think these titles out in 22, 23 are really what you got excited about. There were no launches here. There were tough comps to beat, 10 uh, percent-ish uh, recurring single-digit revenue. Uh, and the case where this, this guide needed to be very good. This guide wasn't very good. It wasn't awful. Um, And I think you're buying weakness on the stock like 25 times uh, next year. Not expensive to be in, to me, one of the great segments in media.
2: Yeah. And, Guy, you know, I think that there is maybe a misconception going on. Yes, we're not going to spend maybe as much time gaming. But if you've got new customers, you just need people to buy games. It doesn't matter how long they spend with the game. They could spend 15 minutes a day. They could spend five hours a day. But you have all these new people who are gaming now. No
3: question about it. And if you look, I mean, it's not coincidental that the stock sort of sold off pretty significantly when you when you got all the good news about the vaccines. Makes sense. Right. But you look at this quarter, just look at the fourth quarter in terms of what they did. It's a pretty remarkable quarter, uh, given what the street was looking for, I think. And oh, by the way, they're running things better. Dan's going to make fun of me. But operating margins came in almost at 25 percent. Street was looking for about 14 and a half percent. I thought the guide was pretty miserable for the full year. Tim said not great. I mean, OK, mm-hmm. we can quibble over that. But I also think it's a bit of a sandbag. <laughs> and I think you buy this stock here because I think it, what they've proven is pandemic, no pandemic, people are coming. This is the wave of the future. I think the sell-off was overdone. I think the stock can uh, challenge those all-time highs we saw back in February.
2: Michael told me to rap, Dan. But if you want to make fun of Guy, I will oh. allow it. <laughs> they cut his mic (laughs) this is a way (laughs) we lost the mic i thought they cut his mic i thought they were punishing me for ignoring the producer all right we're gonna go to okay go ahead no
6: no sorry 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 just to be clear (laughs) i literally texted a guy and said those operating margins were ridiculous, and i knew he would get right in there and say it (laughs) all
2: right (laughs) we are just getting started here on fast money here's what's coming up next
1: Amazon is looking to buy, but is MGM Studios the best bet?
7: The traders have their prime picks and are ready to dish them out. Plus, Bank of America says the Bitcoin bonanza is getting crowded. So is it time to cash out of
1: crypto? We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns.
4: For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing 1 billion dollars to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at comcast.com/projectup.
2: Welcome back. We've got a buzzkill on shares of AT&T, the stock dropping another 6% today as investors continue to fade the deal to merge uh, Warner Media with Discovery. Today's action bringing AT&T's losses to more than 8% since announcing the move. Tim, what do you make of it? I mean, I would imagine part of this is, is that it has to change its shareholder base.
5: Yeah, a very different shareholder base from the conservatism and a dividend and all those dynamics. Although, again, they went ahead to to defend their dividend and say it's still going to be in the 95th percentile of all div payers uh, in line with Verizon. They didn't mention Verizon, but exactly the same div as Verizon. Uh, I, you know, I have a, a peak to trough intraday, two day move of 14% uh, to the downside before recovering uh, a bit. And that's really disappointing. And and, and again, um, kind of cashing in their chips in the media world when you're starting to get some traction, at least again, as an AT&T shareholder. I realize I'm now also a Discovery shareholder. Um, but I do think that there's still a lot of confusion here. Um, there's a lot of confusion really, ultimately, like a, a lot of linear networks still left here. And, you know, that's some dead weight. I, I realize also Discovery's, you know, a very very lower content spend uh, unscripted is very exciting. It's done very well. Um, But, uh, you know, I don't see a lot of answers here and they're going to be competing with the biggest media companies in the world. So uh, I like the old model. I like the sum of the parts that made me sleep at night. And I like that div. And it's a different place today.
2: Yeah. Karen, what do you make of it? Because, I mean, a big part of it is paying down debt, um, which improves the balance sheet. But what do you make of the deal as a whole? Mm -hmm.
4: I guess I sort of look at it and think three years ago. Why did they buy it at that time? I don't I don't I didn't really get that. Seriously, that's a one hundred billion dollar question, Karen. (laughs) Exactly. And I think the architect of that is the architect of this. I don't I don't really get it, to be honest, what uh, how this makes it better. I feel like the stock's in the doghouse, but the stock deserves to be in the doghouse. How much? I don't really know. But I'd rather... Look somewhere else. I don't, yeah, did they say what resize means when they talked about the dividend? Do you, I don't know. I didn't like the whole thing. So um, yeah. it was interesting to me also that both of them traded down. Yeah, That seems, you know, um, so I'm just staying away.
2: Both traded down and traded down again today. Well, as AT&T exits the media game, Amazon is apparently ramping up. The tech titan reportedly in talks to buy MGM's film studios in a multi-billion dollar deal. Let's bring in Julia Borson, who's been very busy. Julia.
0: <laughs> Melissa, it has been busy. Sources tell me that Amazon and MGM are in talks. It's unclear if they will agree on a price, but MGM is reportedly looking for $9 billion. That's far more than the $5 billion or so that I hear that other companies have valued MGM at. But with Warner Media's Discovery merger and Sony partnering with Netflix, for a first look deal on its films, there's a land grab right now for original content for streamers, and MGM is among the few standalone studios left. Now, it has a library of 4,000 films. It has 17 hours, 17,000 hours of TV plus cable channel epics, and MGM could produce more new films from its franchises, which include Pink Panther, Rocky, and James Bond, of which MGM owns half. And it's worth noting that Amazon has been investing more in content for the 175 million Amazon Prime subscribers who streamed a show or movie on the service in the past year. And uh, take a look at um, this would be Amazon's second largest acquisition if it does go through in that nine billion dollar range after it spent nearly $14 billion to acquire Whole Foods. Now, Morgan Stanley says they believe engagement with Prime Instant Video has been an important driver of Prime subscriber growth and retention. And they say that MGM's robust library should help drive retention further. And, of course, for Amazon, it's all about getting those Prime subscribers because they spend more money. Yep. Melissa?
2: Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. Um, by the way, on a full screen, we had MGM Resorts of. That's not the. It might, might sound like a really exciting deal, but that that's not the MGM we're talking about. We're talking about MGM Studios. Um, Dan Nathan, what do you make of this reported deal?
6: You know. Julia just mentioned that it's about Prime retention, so the more you can offer them. I've had Prime for 15 years since the day it came out, and I am probably one of those people who spend two to three times as much as the non-Prime subscriber. But I can't tell you the last time I've ever watched anything on Prime video or Prime music. So to me, I don't think it's... Listen, at $9 billion, it's like a rounding error. It's a $1.6 billion company. that's going to do a half a trillion dollars in sales uh, this year. It doesn't really matter. So, uh, you know, to me, um, you know, I'd be bolting on things to AWS as some of those other um, competitors are starting to take some market share. That would be my view.
2: Guy, what do you think? I mean, if Amazon's looking to buy content, is MGM the way to go, especially when they're talking about $9 billion versus the $5 billion that Julia had cited?
3: Dan mentions it it, it. it is a rounding error. I mean, I, I yeah. think it's probably misguided, but it, they're probably better suited to do it themselves. But it is a rounding error. And it's one of those things, if it works, works big for them. And if it doesn't, nobody remembers in a few years. I mean, it's better than some of the things that AT&T has done not to go back to AT&T. I mean, I mean, they make eighty five billion dollar mistakes and forty five billion dollar mistakes. You know, for Amazon, for nine, ten billion dollars, it, it is that said rounding error that Dan just spoke of.
2: All right. Well, we all love shopping on Amazon, except for maybe Guy, but it is rare when Amazon does the shopping. So that got us thinking. MGM aside, if the tech titan wanted to spend nine billion dollars, what should they buy? Tim, what do you think?
5: Well, I I threw out the the rules and I I said nine billion for Amazon's absurd. Like these guys just said, I believe the term was rounding error. So I said for 25 billion, why not buy Expedia? Uh, and to me, this makes total sense, given, again, the engagement, the prime factor that you could offer. Uh, you could get people to be shopping through Expedia while they're you know, doing other things. Um, the VRBO model, uh, I think, you know, the improved model in general uh, in the Expedia business is very attractive. Um, and to me, this this matches up with Amazon's commitment to logistics and ERP, uh, et cetera. I, I think these businesses belong together and nine billion, 25 billion. Who cares?
2: Karen, what do you think?
4: okay well i try to play the game by the rules as i mostly try to do i feel <laughs> so like stuck a little nine bit nine like billion. reese witherspoon okay. in election yeah, yeah so I stuck to the range. so yeah. you know true true that yeah so earlier i'm sorry <laughs> well actually earlier tim and i were talking about this but so mine is skills and so just like amazon creates little marketplaces for small vendors Skills is a development platform for, for people who want to develop games, people who want to play games, and also they have, you know, e-contests, and Amazon also owns Twitch, so Skills is a recent SPAC, so the shareholder base is probably pretty up for making money quickly. They could do this. It's only about a $6 billion company now, so they give a premium, you end up with your $9 billion. kind of an interesting little tuck-in for Amazon.
2: Hmm. Dan, what should Amazon buy for about nine bill?
6: Yeah, I I like both of those uh, picks there, too. And I I actually think that both of them are thinking about disrupting businesses outside of their core business here. And, you know, I I think this IPOE, which I think on June 1 is going to be start trading as SoFi, it's so, you know, social finance is a company led by Anthony Noto. Um, This has also gone public through a SPAC or will be going public through a SPAC. I think there's a massive disruption a company like Amazon could do in this space, whether it be lending, whether it be asset management, um, a whole host of things that they do really, really, Really well, so I love that company. I think they're going to be a big disruptor, and I think that ultimately Amazon will be getting in the financial services space. So why not now? While SoFi is still about nine billion,
2: that is an interesting one, Guy. What do you say? I too will play by the rules, Tim, and I will say why
3: not take a look at oh. Kohl's, uh, Michelle Goss or Gas. She's the CEO. She remember she took over I think in two thousand and eighteen ish, and the first thing she did was do strike a deal with Amazon. And I think in her head she's saying. We'll really do well. This will be a nice partnership, and maybe in four or five years, Amazon will buy us. I mean, that still might come to fruition, and it's not far-fetched if you think about what Amazon did with Whole Foods, KSS, which, by the way, reports on the 20th, and that would cost about the aforementioned, by the rules, $9 billion.
2: Very good for Guy, Karen, and Dan. <laughs> Coming up, our home builder standing on shaky ground. One of our traders breaks down why they think the best days for the builders are officially baked in. Plus the crowded crypto craze, the new report out of Bank of America that could signal a top in the Bitcoin boom. Don't go anywhere. Fast money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Homebuilders getting hammered today. Housing starts falling nearly 10 percent last month, far above expectations. It has been a hot year for the housing trade, but Dan says today's number could signal some trouble ahead. Dan, why?
6: Trouble ahead, trouble behind. I mean, listen, here's the thing, Mel. I mean, some of the supply uh, demand dynamics have just been totally out of whack. We have no way of looking behind over the last year and really putting that in some sort of context going forward. Then you take into account all the input costs, all the stimulus, you you know, the rate move. There's a lot of things going in a lot of different ways. And I just think this is that as the Nasdaq has underperformed this year, we've seen a few groups. We've seen banks. We've seen, um, you know, homebuilders. We've seen energy. We've seen materials really out outperform of late. And we're starting to lose those groups. So we just lost the home builders that just went up on this parabolic move. You're starting to get bad data. You're starting to see some of these inputs like lumber roll over. And, and you may say, well, that's a good thing for the home builders, But maybe not when you see the activity kind of um, scale back this way. So when I think of the other side of this pandemic, a lot of the oddities about the housing market over the last 13 or 14 months, they may go back the other way. So I wouldn't be buying home builders here. I'd also remember that the home builders topped out in like 05, early 06, before the housing bubble really burst here. So this is not a space I want to be in.
2: The argument against that, uh, against Dan's argument, Tim, would be that going back to the way things were, there was still a supply imbalance. There was not, There wasn't enough housing still in the market then. It was tight supply pre-pandemic. It's only tighter now. So maybe going back isn't a terrible thing for this trade.
5: Well, yeah, and you know this notion just crossed my mind, Dan. Um, And I think this is a case where you've got... Uh, single family starts, which were so disappointing today, are running into those things that we talk about with with lumber. You know, you can't get lumber. How about that? Um, copper prices all time highs. Uh, the price uh, the dynamic just doesn't make sense. But the supply dynamic, you're right, was a place where uh, there was still a lack of supply. And some of these secular trends, I, I think, are, are very much alive. They're not done. Uh, some of these housing mar- markets have been overheated. Some of this migration out of the Northeast and the Midwest upper you know, northern Midwest, um, very much in play. And lower interest rates, I think, are here for some time. Uh, you tell me, uh, I think housing prices and pressure upward, maybe not through the home builders, um, but through other opponents of components um, and, and supply chain and even a Home Depot and Lowe's after a little bit of a pullback here, I think you want to stay in that trade.
2: The notion just crossed my Is that some lyric or something, Guy? What Well, it's a lyric from the song
5: Casey Jones.
3: The the Grateful Dead fans out there are (laughs) wincing because that's one of the songs they really don't like. (laughs) The fact that Dan brought it up, then Tim jumped on top of it and if I said like Switch Man sleeping, which I didn't do because I chose not to, it's one of the many awful Grateful Dead songs We're that all the Grateful Dead people. getting to a housing trade, right? This is all going to a housing <laughs> trade. You asked me a question. I don't know what to tell you. You said, well, "Is this That's some true. work?" I just answered your question. I'll give you a housing fault. trade. Here's your line in the sand. If TLT, the the ETF, the twenty year bond ETF, goes through one thirty three on the downside, and you're a few handles from that, that will equate to about one point eight on the ten year. That's when I think you start to lose the housing trade. So if you're looking for a bogey, mm. 133 in the TLT, that's the one for the housing trade.
2: All right, coming up, the hotel gang is real. Bank of America saying the Bitcoin trade is getting crowded. So what does that mean for the cryptocurrency? We're hitting that trade next. Plus, options traders are gearing up for an old tech titan to report results tomorrow. Professor Co is breaking down the action when Fast Money returns. <sighs> Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got some crypto news for you. The latest Bank of America fund manager survey showing long Bitcoin is the most crowded trade in the world, the whole entire world. The survey also notes the most crowded trade distinction has historically signaled a relative top. It points to the tech trade in September 2018 and 2020, the U.S. dollar in February 2015 and January 2017. So, Karen, what do you what do you make of this? That fund managers perceive something mm-hmm. to be a crowded trade.
4: Right. Well, I wondered, did this come out April fourteenth? Because that was sort of the peak. Mm. I mean, it's down. I don't know. Bitcoin's down twenty one two thousand since then. I don't. I've never quite understood what crowded means or it's over owned. I don't really get what that means. There's a shareholder. I mean, there's you know a number of Bitcoin, eighteen million, and there's always a number of shareholders who own it. But if you want to say the momentum traders, I guess, the hedge funds, yeah, I believe it's overcrowded. I don't think that trading around whether it's overcrowded or not is really part of the fundamental story of Bitcoin. We know how volatile it is. We've seen drawdowns of bigger than this many, many times before. The question is, do you still believe in the theory behind Bitcoin? I actually do. I'm long. I've been long for a long time, that and a number of other currencies. So I, I guess I'm in the overcrowded trade of the world. Karen, in a momentum
2: in trade. Yep. Um, remember the chartmaster was on yesterday saying that the average drawdown on Bitcoin is 55 percent. I think it was 55. It was somewhere in the 50s for sure percent. And we're sort of just in the middle of that at this point, Tim. So what do you what do you think of Bitcoin here?
5: Well, the the, the term was garden variety, I believe. This garden is, variety, uh, you know, yes. Somewhere are somewhere and I think, you know, BK has pointed out some of these drawdowns and, and you've, you've maintained bull market status. Uh, look, the, the, the move to an institutional base, uh, the growing prevalence of, of ETF products that can have exposure to it, uh, the sense that of FOMO that, that that actually, ironically, Wall Street went through after you know non-Wall Street players in, in, in crypto had been alive and well for, for five years. So, um, yes, I, I, I think the fund manager survey, by the way, I love Bank of America's work here. I think it's very interesting stuff. Um, I think in the case of crypto, I think you may have a slightly different dynamic. And look, we've already taken a lot of that froth off.
2: All right. We've got a news alert here on Squarespace, the website hosting company setting the reference price for its direct listing at $50 a share. So we will be watching that for tomorrow. Squarespace, Stan, what do you make of this?
6: Well, I think it's interesting if I go back and look at the last three big ones, direct listings mm-hmm. in tech, Coinbase, Spotify and Slack, um, all of them traded to that reference point at some point and went lower. Coinbase, you know, reference point, not that it's, in, you know, not that it's so important was $250 traded as high as 420 now closed today at 239 all of them within months traded below those levels. So, and we also know that high valuation tech names are not trading particularly well, the ones that went public in the last six months. So, you know, to me, you gotta see how it trades. You gotta see what this kind of supply is gonna be on the direct listing, because a lot more share the ability to be sold um, right away on that listing.
2: Yeah. And they can still raise money afterwards, by the way, even after they go public, as we saw with Coinbase yesterday. So don't think you're immune from that. All right. Coming up, option traders are looking up and checking out an old school tech name ahead of earnings. We got that trade next as we had to break a message from our own Tony Zhang as CNBC celebrates Asian-American Pacific Islander Heritage Month.
7: Try not to focus too much on what others think of you and let that shape who you are and your identity. Don't be afraid to go out there and explore and establish what your own identity is because uh, American culture is so diverse and you can really find and and be able to take advantage
3: of what makes you unique um, and, and pursue what makes you happy.
2: Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking to the CEO of Plug Power. Catch that full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. Let's get to tomorrow. Cisco reports earnings after the bell. Let's bring in Mike Coe for the setup in the options market. Mike.
3: Yeah, so Cisco is seeing calls outpacing puts by about two to one over the last 20 days. It achieved that comfortably today, trading almost three times as many calls as puts. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about 4.5% by the end of the week. That is less than the 6.7% or so that is averaged over the last eight quarters. Now, the two most active options were actually a big overwrite roll, but the most active options that expire at the end of this week were the 53 strike calls, over 2,700 of those traded. We're about dollar and buyers of those calls are probably taking advantage of the fact that options premiums are a little bit lower to make their bullish bets going into earnings, betting that the stock will be higher by the end of the week.
2: All right. Thanks for that, Mike. Um, Guy Adami, Cisco, one of these old tech names mm-hmm. outperforming the Nasdaq, almost double the return year-to-date.
3: Yeah, let's not get carried away, and I'm not suggesting you are, but Cisco, <laughs> I mean, made an all-time high in 2000. We're not even remotely close. You know what? making an all-time high now, same market cap, effectively the same company when you think about it, when you link the two together. Oh, yeah, I know you know. It's Oracle, which, by the way, is within a whisper of its all-time high. So old tech still works. I'm not sure it's in the form of Cisco, but I'm certainly sure it's in the form of the O in the hope trade. That would be Oracle.
2: Ah, the O in the hope trade. You're bringing that back. Um, Tim, he self would you rather it effectively. But amongst old tech Uh, names, do you you like Cisco? He's pretty
5: well behaved. He's pretty well behaved. He followed the rules earlier. I didn't. So, you know, let's call it what it is. Um, I I like Cisco here. And and I I think it's a very different company than it was. It it was a hardware company, clearly. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's a software company now. I think it's soon to be a security company. So uh, I kind of like it. And I kind of like the valuation relative to other mega cap tech peers. So um, stay long.
2: All right. Thanks again for that, Mike. We'll see you Friday. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. And that is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. Yeah, look, I love
5: those numbers from Walmart, the investment in e-commerce, even their advertising business after the next five years.
2: Walmart, moving higher. Karen Feinerman. Yeah, I love
4: those numbers from Walmart also, but I think that mix that was so good for them will be even better for Target, so my final trade is Target. Dan Athan. <laughs> uh,
6: yeah, I like buying this IPOE, which will soon be SoFi on the NASDAQ um, into, that, uh, into June. Guy.
3: Yeah, I love the Dave Brubeck Quartet. They sang Take Five or actually played it. They didn't sing it. I'll take three off that and Take Two, Melissa.
2: <laughs> Thanks for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.
1: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At p it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration